Today's podcast is sponsored by CPI Card Group Incorporated, a leading provider in payment card production and related services. CPI offers a single source for credit, debit, and prepaid debit cards, including EMV chip and dual interface, personalization, instant issuance, fulfillment, and digital payment services. CPI delivers value-added services to credit unions through products such as Card at Once, their easy web-based instant issuance solution for printing high-quality magnetic stripe EMV and contactless cards in branch and on demand. With Card at Once, credit unions can print and issue debit and credit cards for new member accounts or replace cards that have been compromised, lost, or stolen in just minutes. Visit cpicardgroup.com for more information. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. What's it like having the Walt Disney Company as your sponsor? Mind-blowing, says Royce Neum, Vice President of Marketing for Partners Federal Credit Union in Burbank, California, and a member of the CUNA Marketing and Business Development Council Executive Committee. Partners embraces Disney's culture of endless curiosity, Neum says, and this drives innovation. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for Credit Union Magazine and CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Neum shares why he's a self-described data dork, how to get started with data analytics, what he's learned from working with Disney executives, and why Ariel from the Disney classic The Little Mermaid is his favorite Disney character. Credit Union Magazine selected Neum as a 2018 Credit Union Rockstar. So Royce, what's your background and how did you get interested in marketing initially? So I've been in marketing for over 20 years now and I was I always thought I was going to be an accountant or I was going to be in finance. And uh, in fact, so when I started my college uh, as an undergraduate, I was taking the accounting classes, the finance classes. Sophomore year in college, I took a marketing class. And our professor came with a lot of real-world experience. He launched the Orville Redenbacher brand. He talked a lot of, uh, about consumer products and the different things he did, market research, consumer marketing. And at that point, I absolutely fell in love with marketing, and that's when I decided I wanted to be in marketing. Um, like every other college graduate that took that marketing class, I realized very quickly on that I was not able to get a job in marketing without any marketing experience, or that that was my um uh, that's kind of the route I took. So I ended up with, with Washington Mutual and one of their finance companies years ago. And I worked at Washington Mutual. I learned our business from the inside out and went back to school full-time at night, worked full-time in the day, got my MBA with the banking experience. With an MBA, I was able to get my first marketing job as a product manager for a large regional bank. And after that, kind of a fun story, but I spent five years there Amazing experience, publicly traded bank, uh, fortunate to work with the executive team. President was on, on the board for the FHLB in San Francisco. President of the mortgage group was on the California Mortgage Bankers Association board. Our CFO had sold uh, two banks, and he was a very young guy. So just the, the level of talent that I was exposed to very early on was fantastic. And so my bank learning just, just through the roof uh, – in fact, I was trained in, so this is a marketing council. Um, I was actually trained in compliance, advertising compliance by an ex-auditor. Uh, 
for, for one of the governmental agencies at the time that's no longer in existence. So I mean, just experienced from the very top there. And one of my colleagues from the master's program, she went to work for a small credit union. And we stayed in touch. And then she reached out to me, you know, about five years in, four or five years in, and said, listen, you've got to come over to the credit union side. Because, I mean, functionally, the businesses are the same in the sense that the products are the same, there's still regulation. But she says the way we do business and the reason we do business is completely different. And I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. So sure enough, I crossed over, so to speak, joined a credit union, and so partners would be my third. And she was absolutely right. The reason that we're here and the way we do business night and day, decision-making, completely different than the bank. Although a lot of the, the core business processes and understanding the business from the experiences that I had, very, very important. But the reason that we're here and the way we make decisions, night and day, just so much happier to be on this side of the fence. Your finance and compliance background must be a good help to you in your, your marketing role. Uh, yeah. So a couple of my dirty little secrets is I claim that I have an MBA with an emphasis in marketing. What if anybody pulled my transcripts? Um, they're going to see that all my classes were finance, accounting, cost accounting. Um, I, I don't know that I even had very many marketing classes uh, <laughs> at the graduate level. Uh, so uh, award-winning graphic designer, not to be too facetious, but uh, very, very happy and proud of my CUNA Diamond Award. Self-taught with all the Adobe products. But today you will rarely ever see any Adobe product open on my desk. Uh, Excel is probably my favorite go-to tool, and it's open on like three different devices as we speak. And really that finance and accounting background, and even the cost accounting background, huge, huge dividends over time. And then the uh, just, just learning the compliance. Yeah, it's the strangest thing in the world, but I don't typically fight with our compliance people or we don't have any issues because I know the rules. Once you learn, I had a, she was an OTS auditor um, before she came over. And if I were to ask her a simple question like, can I use this blue graphic? I wouldn't get an answer. I would get chapter and verse and I'd see the regs and then I'd get the, I'd get the commentary to the regs and I'd get explained how the commentary to the regs have as much standing as the regs. So, I mean, I had to read, learn, and understand all of it. But what I discovered is that I, uh, I understood the intent. I understood what the lines were and what, where, what the regulations were really trying to protect. So then in my world, I could take what we're doing all the way up to those limits and really understand that. And that actually gave us more freedom and more creativity over time. So what's it like having Disney as your sponsor company? Uh, Mind-blowing. Absolutely amazing. I was doing this for 16 years prior to coming to the Walt Disney Company. And I'll be honest, I, I, I thought I knew my business. I do know my business. I have a, a track record that I'm very proud of. And then I met some of these executives throughout the company, some VPs of marketing uh, all across the segment. And I very much felt like a little boy dressing up in daddy's clothes <laughs> playing at marketing. And uh, guess what? I didn't like that feeling. And I grabbed a couple of them and said, like it or not, you're going to trade me. And uh, they were kind enough to, to do so. Um, so working for the Walt Disney Company is just it's – it's a world of endless possibilities. I think you don't realize what you can do or what anybody can do until you start seeing um, 
the things that happen. Uh, Bob Iger, chairman of the Walt Disney Company, quoted on a conference call once saying uh, that we do things few others even a dream of attempting. Yeah, and, and when you've got that collective mindset and you've got that collective talent, literally blue sky is the norm, and, and that's where we try to play every day. What are some things that you learned from the, the Disney marketing executives? The biggest thing that I've learned, and it's not even just the, the marketing executives, and I believe it's what separates us from the rest of the world, is as a rule, our executives are endlessly curious. It doesn't matter who they are. I, I have friends with uh, odd places, in a sense, as the marketing guy, but um, vice president strategic, uh, I'm sorry, risk management, um, down to enterprise sourcing. And all across the segments, everybody is endlessly curious. They, they get to a level where they want to know more. They want so that they can do more. That curiosity is what drives our innovation. Nobody here innovates for the sake of innovation. Nobody really cares about innovation except it lets us tell better stories or get better at what we want to do or, or create the experiences that we want. And that endless curiosity just pervades the company. And those that are willing to just keep seeking new new opportunities, experiences, and how do we bring that back to our membership, to our guests, to our audiences, that is probably the most eye-opening thing that, that I was exposed to here. Have you had any unique Disney-related experiences at work? Anything unusual from a day-to-day -day standpoint uh, that's kind of related to your sponsor? Imagine it, it's happened. Uh, we, we, everything that you would imagine from an entertainment company, it, I don't want to say the norm, but that, that's what we do. What, what really surprised me was just how uh, open the company is. And so the experiences really come from all the learning opportunities. And I don't know that that gets talked about enough because we all like the, the glitzy glamour stuff or all the stuff that we want to Instagram and Facebook. Uh, plenty of those, but the ones that are really meaningful have just been all the learning opportunities. One of our projects here is we we did the EMB migration when when those chips were were the norm, and at the time EMB was not commonplace here. But I learned from our friends at Disney Store about EMB and terminals and chip implementation because we've been doing it by at that time for for countless years in Europe because that was the norm. When we wanted to learn about website development, we talked to you know, many of the developers here and a lot of the people using it. So just the opportunity to learn and reach out to virtually anybody, that's unique. One example, we were doing a, a Facebook integration with somebody. So we were advertising an integrated marketing partnership with one of the groups. Well, we couldn't get an animated header to work out. And we followed what Facebook posted as a stat. Uh, the, the, the specs to, to make it work, and we followed the specs, and we just couldn't get it to work right. We learned that one of our teams um, throughout Disney got it right, so we just threw out a general call for help, and, and you know we had a couple groups come back and tell us how to fix it within hours, and so sure enough, we were able to get it fixed, and I just don't know that we would have had that resource in any other institution that I was at or just, just access to that knowledge base anywhere else I, I would have been. Yeah, if we don't know how to do something, we can we can ask. And if the people we ask don't know, then we can all figure it out together. And, I mean, there's plenty of examples of that. We've co-created products or systems with, with some of these other teams. It's just absolutely amazing to be able to build something from, from scratch. 
you know, um, it goes back to some of the old Walt Disney quotes where, yeah, he didn't do a lot of copying. He didn't go after the fashions of the other motion picture companies around him. It's we, we do our own thing. We learn and we're just, again, just try to live up to that endless curiosity. And that's what really pushes us forward. So you, you call yourself a, a data dork in your rock star profile. What do you mean by that? Yeah, one of the biggest things that I've learned, so this will be my fifth or sixth financial institution, and um, so so much of what we do, especially when people think about marketing, is all that, again, it's all that glitz, the glamour, and all the fun stuff, but I'm not saying it's not there, because it certainly is, Um, and if you ask my CFO, I don't know how to keep a budget, because I'm always blowing through it, Um, (laughs) and things seem like they're on the face, just frivolous or, you know, the typical, why are you doing that? What's the return? Blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, if, for those that spent any time digging between the, below the surface here with this particular marketing team, is everything that we do is driven on data. So there, there's not a gut feel on anything necessarily. There's not a, we have to try something or somebody's got this concept or this idea or, you know, so-and-so is doing that. We we don't do business that way on our team. We are completely reliant on our data sets. And the way that looks in a lot of places is our own knowledge bases are, they're, they're our biggest obstacles. Coming here for 16 years, everything that I've learned over 16 years in banking would have hurt me or does hurt me until you distill all of the data down to your specific institution and then you can draw your own inferences uh, for your own member base based out of your own data set. And when you can get rid of all the biases and get rid of everything that we've known to be true, then you can get down to the core of what makes your data function and uh, what makes your members tick. And once you understand that, then you can start building the, the processes, the procedures, the promotions, the products, all the services that support the needs of the membership. Data analytics seems to be kind of a, a daunting topic. What's a good way for a marketer to, to get into that and either increase or improve their, their use of data? Um, the, the secret is very simple. Just start banging rocks together. <laughs> um, you know, that, so the secret is to bang rocks together to start fire. Um, and that's, that's all it is. I mean, I, I don't know that there is a secret. Start with that curiosity and then start digging into your data sets and start banging rocks together. And we play in all kinds of things. I, I told you earlier that I'm very proud of being a uh, award-winning gra- graphic designer. Um, but today, I spend just I spend more time Googling SQL queries so that I can play in our transactional um, cubes and so that we can understand member behavior based on purchases. And I, I 100% believe that every data insight that we need is within the transactional data sets that, that we can describe and understand everything we ever need to understand about our members if we can see their their spend behaviors. And I believe that that is 100% true. And so uh, that's where I'm banging my rocks together. So for anybody aspiring to get out there, I, I think the first thing is just unlearn everything that you think that you learned and stop watching what everybody else is doing and start figuring out uh, what what your members want and what makes your credit union successful. Well, a different example of that is anybody that has to deal with credit card portfolios. I mean, if anybody needs to grow credit card balance growth, first thing they're going to do and first thing everybody wants, especially 
um, the organization is to come out with some sort of promotional rate, teaser rate, 0%, and start looking at all these special offers. Um, I've actually been fortunate enough to compare graphs of credit unions that have used teaser rates to those that haven't used teaser rates and measured their credit card portfolio balance growth. And not a single one of those have shown sustainable, repeatable growth through rate offers. What, uh, what we focused on was transaction uses, uh, uh, transaction growth. Um, or said differently, what we learned and what we, we focused on was getting people to use their cards, increase the number of times that they use their cards. And with that, our credit card portfolio growth was through the roof. We, we, uh, we grew something like $27 million in credit card balances in 18 months um, by purely focusing on transactions and transactional usage as opposed to balances, which is counterintuitive um, in the industry and counterintuitive for our business. But that's just an example of digging through the data sets and realizing that transactions correlates to portfolio growth. Um, rate does not. You know, and I think that's a big fallacy that we do as an industry is everybody wants to compete on price or rate or on fees. And the reality is then your consumer is making purchase behaviors based on rates and fees and pricing, and that's all they're ever going to want. Uh, my favorite example of that in the retail world is Macy's. I absolutely 100% love Macy's. They're my number one favorite retailer to purchase from. Um, and I love wearing, you know, Vince Camuto shirts and Michael Kors sport coats. But am I going to spend, but you'll never see me spend $400 on a Michael Kors sports coat because I know that if I wait a week or two, it's going to go on sale and I'll get a coupon. Um, and that's the only way that they're going to get me to buy it. Problem is I love the product. So I would probably pay that money, but if you're going to train me to only wait for discounts and wait for sales, then you're going to be sacrificing long-term profit and sustainability for short-term gains um, that you can't maintain. So if you have like a rate consumer that will only bring over, you know, $100,000 to you if you give them the best certificate rate, well, what happens when another institution has the best certificate rate, a better certificate rate, or a better auto loan rate, or a better credit card rate? Um, that, that, that's a space that I think everybody needs to start exploring and let your data tell you. Go find the ones who are your engaged, loyal members, and those are the ones that you want to continue to cultivate and attract more of. Um, that, and that's how I would suggest people start looking at their data or how to get even started in data and just ignore everything else that's going around you. So what do you see as your, your biggest marketing challenge at, at Partners Federal? At Partners, it, it, um, the biggest marketing challenge here is just winning the Super Bowl over and over again. Or, or as I like to tease my friends at the Walt Disney Studios, it's having $100 million weekends. Um, because it just with all of our successes and all the things that we're proud of, um, we continue to, to set the bar. I mean, we, we opened up, we, we welcomed 13% more new members last month than we did the same time last year. Um, I said, we're, we're on three years of record new membership growth, and we continue to grow. And so the biggest challenge, I guess, is to the team is how do we maintain these record levels of growth? How do we continue to win the Super Bowl every year, so to speak? How do we continue to, to impress and, and uh, manage this pace? And the answer is very simple. It just goes back to almost where we started. It's just that, it's that endless curiosity. 
because uh, with a handful of exceptions, we kind of don't keep our eye on those business metrics. We we keep our eyes focused on doing the right things. That endless curiosity, becoming better at what we do, just just learning our business. Um, one of my favorite analogies is my daughter. I, I used to coach her her rec soccer team um, when she came off a competitive play, and just a, a wonderful group of nine and ten year olds to little girls and. Uh, when we went to rec play, we had girls that had never played soccer before, never touched the ball, or others that haven't been trained. Uh, my daughter had the benefit of being being trained very, very well. And so when I took over the team, all we did was train the girls on how to, on technical skills. For three hours a week, all they did was the same technical training from day one to, to day whatever at the end of the season. All of our we, – we didn't have practices. We had training sessions. And they did the same thing over and over again. Uh, until they got it right, and whenever other they'd watch the other coaches or they talk to their other fans and the other coaches, they practice plays, they practice positions, they practice how to do certain soccer things. All we would do is learn how to touch the ball, and we didn't deviate. We just trained so hard at, at touching the ball until they got so proficient at touching the ball that come game time, they were. It, it would not be unheard of of us to have a 10-0 lead come halftime. Or, and to dominate most uh, every aspect of play, and these little and these young women were just doing amazing things with the ball that nobody else could do, and obviously we're winning games. And I would tell the girls, I said, uh, winning games and scoring goals came as a consequence, a consequence of of your training and doing the right things and being focused on the right areas. That was never the intent. Much like here, I don't measure or I don't I don't uh, manage to any business metrics. I don't look at membership growth or loan growth or credit card growth and measure to that. We focus on doing the right things, finding the right behaviors, getting smarter at that, uh, refining our creative, getting better at our craft. And by us becoming better technically at what we do, all those business metrics, they're the same as for those 9- and 10-year-old young women. It was a, that, that scoring goals and winning games is a consequence of all of our training and focusing on the right things. Yeah. And that's our biggest challenge is making sure that we stay focused on those right things and that we continue to just get better and better and, again, just refine our craft and just get better at it day after day um, and have a lot of fun doing it. So what's one thing you know now that you wish you'd known as a new marketer? That's a good question. Um the one thing that, you know, I would say it's a revelation that I learned a long time ago in my MBA class, and it didn't make any sense to me at the time, but it makes all the sense in the world to me now. Um, and, and in class, um, they, they taught us, or they asked, and it was more about executive development, and they asked, um, what do you think separates like a senior-level leader like a VP and a CEO from a middle manager and uh, and like top individual contributors. You know, when you think about stratifying a business model, what what separates them all? And everybody obviously goes through it, and the answer is differently. But a study was done, and, and people like to think intelligence is the differentiator, and they found that it's ad adversely skewed, where you'll find. Um, measurably smarter people, whether it's IQ or, or degree-wise, at that individual contributor or that research and development level, and not at that executive level. And, and they'll find that uh, diff different factors and 
But but the difference that they found in this research study, and I don't even know what it was, but it just sticks with me. But the difference that they found was depth of knowledge and breadth of knowledge, that the senior leaders just can talk about more things and relate more examples. And the way I, I equate it is if you think about your favorite classes in school where your professors could just draw on these endless wells of examples, or if you go to some of the best conferences, that well of knowledge, that's what separates those executives from, from everyone else. And so what I wish that I had known as a new marketer is to build that well faster and to really um, continuously feed that well and start and continue to gain as much knowledge uh, as possible. And, and it's everything. It's not just marketing. It's not just, but it's current events. It's world events. It's, it's why are things shaping up the way they are? Understanding all of that, building up all of these breadths of knowledge, these wells of knowledge, that is what I wish I knew because that translates so directly into what we do as marketers, but even so in our, in our professional development. So I'd, I'd like to I'd like to end with a, a hard hitting question. <laughs> what's your favorite ride at Disney, or should I say, what's your favorite uh, Disney attraction? <laughs> so if you ever saw my office, and you will completely laugh, but it is a uh, Ariel's Undersea Adventure mm. um, in both parks, the Magic Kingdom and at Disney California Adventure. Ariel is my unabashedly favorite um, Disney princess, and in the print copy of that Rockstar. The, yeah, the, you can see her that I wear her on my chest, and she's on my pocket square, and she is everywhere in my office. So Ariel's undersea attract. Um, Ariel, and I think very few people realize this, but uh, the Little Mermaid really kicked off the second golden age of animation and brought on animation back into into the Disney um, fold and really kicked it off in the mainstream. So a lot of significance for her in the company, and then for for me personally. In fact, when I went to, because uh, my office is in Burbank, and so I grew up with Disneyland, my first trip back to uh, Orlando for business, of course, I only went on one attraction. So out of every attraction you can imagine available at the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, any of the amazing experiences that we have at Orlando, the only attraction I went on was, was Ariel's Undersea Adventure out there. <laughs> um, close second, close second is Guardians of the Galaxy's Mission Breakout at California Adventure. Uh, that is just an amazing experience. And I found myself cheering for Star-Lord, you know, 30 seconds in. Amazing experience. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? I, I think the only thing that I, w- I would just want to leave anybody is just get the message out there to do it. I mean, we can make such an impact on on our communities, on, on our country, on, on whatever it is, and to get out there and just do it. You know, you don't you don't need um you don't need an opportunity you don't need anybody to ask you uh, Kenya Ferris he is an amazing gentleman and I heard him speak once I had the opportunity to meet meet him and in his, in one of his presentations he shared he says uh don't wait to be counted make yourself counted and if there's any message that I would leave for anybody is don't wait to be counted make yourself counted take every opportunity make an impact don't wait for permission. I go out there and and do it. You don't need anybody to tell you it's okay. You don't want anybody to tell you it's okay. Just get out there and make your mark. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. 
subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. This podcast was sponsored by CPI Card Group Incorporated, a leading provider in payment card production and related services. Learn more at cpicardgroup.com.